In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's having a beautiful day. I hope the sun is shining. I hope the birds are singing and the wind is at your back. And I have an incredible guest for you today, an incredible show. The one and only I would like to introduce to you, Rochelle Webb, a visionary at the intersection of technology and fashion, who is transforming the global design sector with a diverse portfolio of fashion, expression, and a penchant for wonderlust. Rochelle's journey has led her to create Optimus Made, a platform that brings unique international narratives to American consumers. Her closet is a diary of her adventures, and now she's sharing the gift of unexpected opportunities with designers, stimulating economies, and making unique items accessible. As a seasoned marketer, Rochelle's experience spans Fortune 500 companies and unicorn brands, with a notable achievement in media planning for Call of Duty's record-breaking launch. Get ready to explore the world of innovation and international flair with the one and only Rochelle Webb. Thank you so much for being here today. You are an incredibly patient, beautiful, and amazing person. Thank you for your time. Thank you, George. It's such a nice introduction. It's so great to be with you today. And mahalo to you in Hawaii. It's it's an inspiring place to live. In some ways, it reminds me of some of the pictures you have up with all the green foliage and just being surrounded by nature. It's it's really beautiful, right? It's something to be said about being inspired by that. Yeah, Hawaii was actually one of the first markets that we entered when we launched Optimus Made. And so we spent time in both Oahu and Maui uh, meeting with designers in your area. So it's very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I could see that. It's Maybe we can speak about how your heart and your passion for fashion was shaped. How, how did this thing come? You, you have a whirlwind of experience in different corporations and business. Maybe you could speak a little bit towards that. Yeah, I, um, I'm a very much of a person who's um, naturally walking through life as a, my own ethnographic study. And so I'm always looking and studying what's happening around me, how people are behaving, where things are broken, where there's opportunities. And 
Uh, and I'm also really into determining how to find growth and how to fix problems that need fixing. And so in my career as a global marketer, I've tended to, to sit on brands that were looking to, to, to fix a very specific problem. And during that time, I watched a lot of executives sort of fall onto the, into this issue of not having enough data to make the decisions they need to make in real time. So they started operating very much from their gut. Um, and that will work to a certain point, but I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, they've got to be able to merge the two because that's the reason why we call marketing an art and a science. And so it was that journey for me that, you know, I was just hunting and gathering experiences along the way that led me to figure out that when I created my own company, I wanted to create something that fixed all of these things that I had observed over the course of my career. And that's how Optimus Made really came to be. Um, I also have been very much an underdog my whole life. You know, I, um, you know, I don't look like the dominant culture. I always look different to people that I went to school with as a black woman. And I, you know, I had to, you know, work very hard to get opportunities and to be seen and be heard. And so I always felt a little bit like I was running in mud for a mm. long time to get opportunities, but I knew that I had to be a master networker and I love people. So it kind of worked out for me. And um, in doing that, it made me realize that I wanted to make life just a little bit easier for other people. And so part of the altruistic nature of Optimus Made and the work that I do comes from the fact that I just want to be helpful. I'm, I'm a nurturer. I'm an empath. And I just want, I don't want others that have a lot of talent to get lost in the shuffle. So I'm the person that's doing and like looking for those people and becoming their dream catcher. So. <laughs> I love it. I, I can see that strand of optimism meets opportunity meets hunting and gathering. You know, there's something to be said about people who have gone and found their way and tried to make their way through the corporate system and found it to be so constricting and so sort of like weight on your shoulders. Like, yeah, but what about all this? This is so much better. And it sounds to me like that that's maybe part of the spark that caused you to go your own way and maybe break the shackles of the corporate structure a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, and sometimes it can be really hard to get an executive to listen to. And what about this? And so yeah. um, you have to find a really compelling way to get them to listen. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very, it's, my life has very much been ab about that. And, um, and you sort of get creative in how you um, accomplish a bit of that, um, you know, oh, look over here, squirrel, squirrel. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I've, I've, I've become pretty good at that. Um, because and that's where my, you know, being a natural storyteller comes in. And if you look at the right. platform of Optimus made, one thing that I hope comes through very clearly to people that visit the platform is the stories that are buried in there. And everything has a story from the models that are wearing the clothing to each and every product, to every designer, to the different geographies where mm -hmm. we have infiltrated. Everything has a story, how the company was started. So as you move through the experience on the website, um, it's, it's a collection of stories. And that's very much what, when I say wanderlust, I want people to get caught mm -hmm. up in that. I want them to yeah. sort of disappear from their life for a moment and, and take an adventure somewhere. And so... <sighs> Um, so that's really what it's all about is really just transporting people to a, a new and exciting place for a moment. 
you do a, a fantastic job at it. And if we look at the Ariadne thread that runs through all the work you do, whether it's, you know, working on games and then telling stories which allow people to live their own hero's journey and kind of find themselves through the fashion like that. That's a great way for people to begin to understand and forget about who they are. And it's kind of, it's almost synonymous. What a, what a great way to wonderlust, I guess. That's a beautiful way to describe it. Yeah, exactly. And I think where it comes through for me the most and where it's the most exciting is when I do hold pop-ups and people are able, because it's an, it's an online e-commerce platform and that's where the world is heading. We're right, right in the middle of digital transformation, but um, it's really important to stay connected to your community too. And so I, I do make sure that I have several pop-ups throughout the course of the year. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to move to the point where I can start traveling these pop-ups all over the world because I want to continue to meet more and more of my community. And when I, have these pop-ups and I get to see people experience the product and firsthand watch their reaction. I don't get to see that um, when they're surfing the internet and they're looking at the website, but when they're at a pop-up, I get to see their natural, authentic reaction to all the treasures that I've brought back to them. And I get to see them um, you know, very much unabandonedly take risk, you know, and maybe put things on they wouldn't normally um, when they're getting, you know, because they, they, it feels fun and exciting because there's a st story buried in there. And oftentimes what you'll find is some customers end up buying a product because of the story, not necessarily because it's what they would normally wear every day. And when I know, when I see that happens, I know that I've done my job. And, um, and especially when I get that call after the fact of, or the text or a message on my site saying like, Every time I wear this product, I end up telling stories about it because I get so many compliments on like how interesting it is or, you know, asking me where I got it. And I just, and that's exciting to me because then it's the story is living on and there's something really important about leaving a legacy behind. And that's one of the most important things I do for these designers is I retell their stories and I make sure they're appreciated and I make sure that they're creating legacies so they're remembered and they're seen and they're heard and that um, they have staying power because when you don't have a lot of resource um, to nurture your brand, you can't compete with these sort of big behemoths that are out there that can afford to spend a lot of money telling their story over and over again. So it gets really sticky. So these smaller brands, um, you know, they just have to kind of like sit at the markets and it's a very localized experience. So I'm trying to globalize that experience for them. It's beautiful. It's, it's hard to compete with da 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 da. I'm loving it. I have right. tons of money. Let me just throw this garbage at you over here. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you know what I love? I love this idea of like legacy, fashion, and stories. And it does seem to me that when someone from a designer with whom story they identify gets to put on an article of a clothing, it's like they get to be part of the story. In some ways, is that is that what's going on? They get to be part of this emerging story. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really important to me when I launched the company to make sure that with every single product that I put on the site, that I actually rewalked them, the person through the nice. journey of how I found the product and what it, what the feeling was like and how I found each designer and how, you know, when I was mm -hmm. in London, I really had to, you know, 
be involved with this one designer and I didn't have any British pounds on me and she only accepted local denomination. And I literally, I had the only thing I had with me was my brother and credit cards and I knew the credit cards weren't going to work. So I literally wiped him dry of every British pound he had on me to make this deal happen. And so it's just fun stuff like that. It gets to live on as a part of the story. And I've even met strangers as a part of, and they're like, what are you doing? Cause I'm like, I'm buying all of this stuff. And they're like, what is this lady crazy lady doing? And then I explained to them that I have this company and what I do. And they're like, that's so interesting. And I'm like, well, do you want to help me source? I mean, I've literally asked, asked perfect strangers to help me source and they become a part of the story. And so it's really, you know, I've actually, I'm launching menswear, um, you know, very in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, I know kind of what works for women. I can kind of get very close to sizing for women because I'm just, I know the female body, but for men, I, it's a little trickier. I'm like, I don't know, like, would this fit, you know? And so I, I've grabbed random men. I'm like, can you try this on for me? I feel like, I feel like it's similar to the, my, you know, size to my friend Will. And so I'll have him try something on and like, and I'm like, yep, that would fit well. And so <laughs> um, people are like, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm going to go with it. So it's, 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 it's a fun ride and I get to meet a lot of interesting people along the way. Yeah, it's there's something that shows through in what someone does when they're passionate about it. And it's it's contagious in a way. And I think that that sort of contagion that is built in the relationships in the business is something that's transferable. You can see it in the relationships. You can see it in the clothing. You can see it in the designer. And it's interesting to see how these real-life relationship assets or these real relationship characteristics can change into fashion. Like, what? This brings me to a few. I have some interesting questions about fashion that I've been dying to ask people. And so, especially with what you're doing, how, how do you think that your approach to sustainable fashion challenges conventional, conventional consumerism and materialism? Oh, well, first of all, it's all in the sourcing, right? Okay. And so that yes. was really mission critical for me when I started the company was that it was responsible. And I'm actually a board member for the organization 1% for the Planet, which is um, their key mission is to protect our environmental legacy and um, to create a more sustainable world. And so that's deeply ingrained in who I am as a person. So I knew whatever I started had to live against that mission and that mm -hmm. purpose. And so um, part of what's natural to the process is that because I'm working with very, with independent young designers, um, they own their supply chain. And so I'm able to, you know, on most occasions, I'm actually meeting these designers inside of their facility where they're actually making the product, where they're cutting and sewing. And I'm actually seeing with my own eyes where the product is made. And so because of that, I'm able to make, um, really calculated decisions about who I get involved with because I know that the items are being made responsibly. I only buy in small batches to mitigate um, how much waste um, I'm sitting on because I it's my intention that every item I purchase sells through the system mm -hmm. um, at some point. And so because I don't want to be you know, filling landfills with a wasted product and things like that. So I'm very specific about what I source and how much of it. Um, and that's what's the magic actually behind the platform. It kind of all works because, you know, if you look on the site and you look at different products, it'll tell you how many of those products exist, um, you know, in, on my site, which means you will be one of three people in the United States to own this product if you yeah. buy it. Um, this is a one of a kind product. You'll be the only person that owns it. So um, it's a bit of, you know, 
kind of like a founder's edition of right. like, you know, you're only one of a few that have this yeah. piece. And so people love that. They love feeling unique and special and knowing that if they buy this thing, they're not going to walk into a party and three other women are going to be wearing it. And so, so it kind of just the mission of being sustainable works with the magic that is optimist made and the experience I try to create for people. Um, but that is a very serious, um, sort of filter that I use in terms of deciding who I want to work with is making sure that they do have sustainable processes. They are responsible. I don't work with any products that have any sweatshops. In fact, um, we're in the middle of launching a private label right now where we're actually making our own product based on insights that we've gathered over the course of our sourcing journeys. And um, the manufacturer I'm working with to make that product, it was the same process with them as well as making sure like, are you responsible? Who's working in your factories? What are the conditions? And making sure that we are staying true to who we are as a um, purpose-driven company. I love it. I love it. And I think it speaks, a moment ago, you spoke about the power of exclusivity and how a woman can come in and be dazzling and unique and also reflect the fact that she is conscious of society and her values in a way. And, and as a man, like I never really thought about it from that angle, but yeah, w- what an incredible way for someone to make a statement about their values and who they are with fashion. What is the relationship there between, maybe you can expand on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, inherently people want to feel special. Maybe yeah. like, you know, not everyone wants the overt attention, but they want to feel special and they want to yeah. feel seen. And, um, you know, some people w- w- would like to be more seen than others. Um, you know, there's certainly a spectrum, but at the end of the day, you know, most people just don't want to drift into the background and disappear. And so, um, you know, it, to, to me, I'm trying to celebrate and appreciate that side of the individual, but in a way that um, is most meaningful for them, like whatever that means to you, I want to find that and connect with that. And so it's not a one size fits all, which is why you'll see in the offering and there's such a diverse and versatile offering right. to what we bring to our platform is because we want to respect all walks of life and appreciate all senses of style and all personalities and the fluidity that that is human beings right and how they express themselves and um the most valuable resource that we have other than time is ourselves and how we're seen in the world and i often tell people I'm, i'm also a professor within a university here in los angeles and one of the things i tell my students is um, you know, your perception is your reality, right? So how people perceive you is really, you can look at yourself in the mirror and have an opinion about yourself. And typically people are much harder on themselves than they should be. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you need to listen to what people are telling you and the way that they see you, because that's the reality. Um, that's your true mirror. Because um, when you, unless you're staying in your home 24 seven, your real reflection of who you are is how you're seen as you're moving through the world. And it's very important to like hear that, to be in tune with it and to reflect that and and do what you can to reflect that back. If you like who that person is, and if you don't like who that person is, figure out how do I change this? How do we become more, how do I walk and step more with the person that I want to be? 
right? right. And that's when you start to sort of like, like self-identify where you want to make changes and whatnot. But um, typically the person that they see in the world as they're moving through the streets is a pretty darn good person. And it's much better than who you see mm-hmm. because we're yeah. very yeah. quick to be hard on ourselves. And so, um, you know, I'm very, the practicality of just, all of that is important to me and, and making sure that I fall in line with that same um, sort of conviction on my platform. And so, you know, the value of people expressing themselves is very much, that's why that like giving them stories they can hang on to and that are repeatable. That's mm. Yeah. Because that's something tangible they can hold on to. And then those stories become a part of them. My stories become their stories once they purchase that product, right? And um, it's just, it's really heartwarming too when I hear, when I'm in a room where someone's become a customer and they're talking to other people who are not yet a customer. I love hearing how other people sell my company. Um, and, and again, it, gets, it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, I have opinions of what my company is, but when I listen to someone sell my company to somebody else, that's who my, that's what my company actually is. Right. Though so that's the buzz that's floating around out there about what Optimus Made is. So it's really important to me to lean into that and understand that. And a big part of our founding story was that it was important to me as a marketer to be very consumer led with mm. my platform. And so everything about the platform involves the consumer firsthand. The models are real people. The models are also the people that help give me advice on what I should source more of because as they're trying things on, they're telling me that they love certain things and this thing is a tailored fit. And so it's all information for me. Um, and, and while they might not realize it, it's informing what I do next, the next step that I take on the next sourcing trip. And then, you know, when I'm doing pop-ups and I'm seeing the community react to the product and when I'm on social and I'm doing social listening and I'm seeing what people are saying about the product, that's all information. And so, and that all makes me better and different or different, you yeah. know, in the future, right? Because it starts to really inform, you know, how I run the company, how I source the product, how I show up in the world. Um, but what's really cool about that is it starts to become less and less about it being my company. And now it's about our company. Mm, yeah. That's what I'm striving for. I'm striving to build a company that's our company. It's the collective R and it's the community that sits around the company that has ownership in it too. Which <sighs> all that's beautiful. You have a really deep drawer on the idea of behavior. It's like, no wonder why, like, you're so awesome. It seems to me like you, like, I'm going to take the most successful, biggest companies in the world and get rid of all their garbage and just actually care about what the customer says. I'm going to build it up from here. Like, I commend that. I see it almost fractal in a way when you're describing how an individual looks at themselves and how other people see them. And you're able to take that and move it and put it into a company and allow it to build from the ground up. That is impressive. Mm-hmm. really impressive like I, Thank you. yeah yeah there's a, there's a lot of a lot going on in there it's it's a it's it's mind-blowing in a way for me just to try to process all that thank you for putting it out that way you know then what ethical considerations do you think drive your commitment to reshaping the fashion industry through the marketplace that's a huge that's hugely <laughs> important to me honestly um and it's it's funny i always say you know i actually was never baptized or anything i don't like have ownership of any religion but i said i, t- I tend to like follow the catholic religion somehow mm-hmm. i went to a school that had a very strong catholic lean to right. it um K through 12. Um, and then I went on to a Jesuit university for undergrad. That's it. 
I now get it. Teach at a <laughs> university. So I, I do feel it. like I carry Catholic schoolgirl guilt with me everywhere I go. But mm-hmm. what what I love, and I think the reason why I've been drawn to these two Jesuit universities and what I love so much about what they do is they're mm. very heavily rooted in service. And everything is yeah. about being in service to your community and being in service to the people around you. And how can you help? And um, I tend to want to default to that is how can I help? right? How can I be Mm -hmm. helpful? So when I think about my most valuable resource, which is time and my money that's going into this, I'm like, I want to use it to be helpful. And so I'm always trying to think about with everything that I design and the arc of the company is like, what is this doing for the people around the company? Right. And, um, and because of that, it does make me think to myself, like for the people within the organ, the people that are immediately impacting what we do, which is making and selling things, um, there's an ethical component to that as well. And so one of the big things, um, so when I started the company, it was like, okay, what am I trying to fix here? And I was trying to fix the fact that as a global marketer, whenever I traveled around the world, um, I would do all my shopping on business trips versus when I was at home. Because when I was at home, I was trying to decompress and recharge from being on the road. So I, the last thing I wanted to do was shop. But when I was overseas, I was like, I might, I'm never going to see this again. Or I might not right. see this again for a long time. Or the next time I come back here, this thing won't be here. So I became very irrational about the things I was purchasing when I was traveling. And so that became my collection of my, what, what became my closet. And, um, and what was really, you know, as I sit here and I look at my closet and I appreciate all these cool items that I've purchased in different places around the world, what I recognized was, wow, like people would ask me where, where did you get that? Where did you get that? And I would say, and they're like, why don't you ever buy something here where we can buy it too? And, and what I realized was that, um, you know, these people were being very much contained within that small high street or that, that small market where I ended up finding them. And they were never going to really move beyond that. And I was like, that's what I'm fixing. I want them to move beyond that. I want their walls to get bigger. I want them Mm. to grow. And so when I decided that for myself, I started to, again, tap into the behavior of what, what is a day in the life of these designers, right? And I started to ask a lot of questions as I was moving through the world in this way as a shopper. And what I was finding out is that, you know, that people really loved their product. I and mean, even they would have people all over the world coming back because someone sent them there that had visited their, their program. But they were, they were also very much struggling um, to put food on their own table. Like they had to go to this market. They had to make a certain amount of money every day. And they were living very much hand to mouth, which some, like, to me was a massive disconnect. If you have this kind of global appreciation for your product, then why are you struggling to survive? So there was a, that ethical concern built into the nature of what they do. And then I said, well, you know, has anyone tried to help you scale your business? You know, and they said, we've tried, we've tried. Um, and people have come here and said they're going to sell our product on consignment. So we'll give them a bunch of product. They're going to put it in their store in America or in whatever country they're coming from. And then they take our product and we don't see any money and we never see our product again. And so basically they're stolen from and So they're very reticent to want to do deals with people because they've been screwed over um, in the past. And so that was really hard for me to hear because I'm thinking, here's this beautiful person with this beautiful talent. Why would someone want to take advantage of them? But I also know the reality of that is what the, how the world works, right? Like some people are just driven by being nasty. And so 
I, that to me was the crux of the issue I was trying to solve the problem that I was trying to solve. It was very distinct. And so I was like, okay, well, how am I going to fix this? And the way that I fix it, um, which might not be sexy to investors, but um, when they see the margins and they see the sell through, they start, they start to understand like, oh, okay, there's a real business here is I carry the risk. Um, so I invest in these designers. I buy their product outright um, and I buy it in bulk and I, um, and I bring that back because I'm trying to invest in them. I'm trying to give them the amount of business that maybe will take them a couple few months to make in one, one hour. Um, so they can get a sense of what does that kind of scale feel like when someone just comes in and appreciates your product for what it is and kind of wipes you out of all your inventory so you can go on and continue creating because that's the thing they really want to be doing. And so um, I'm very much, um, you know, about carrying all the risk for myself. The other part of that was that I was very clear about the fact that, you know, we were in the middle of digital transformation. A lot of things were moving to e-commerce. It got even more propelled during COVID. And so where we are now is people are, you know, conditioned to Amazon where you can order something and it can literally be on your doorstep in six hours. I mean, we've gotten that tight on the turnaround, um, but, you know, typically within two days, if you're a prime member, you can have a product on your doorstep. So I was very clear in my head about what my competition was, and I knew if I did not control the whole supply chain that I wasn't going to be competitive. And this is the biggest problem with small businesses when they enter these a market as big as fashion, a category as big as fashion, is that they don't have the operations built into their businesses to be able to deliver quickly to people. And so people are like, okay, well, I can get this thing from here, which is close enough to what I want and know that I'm going to get in a couple of days or I could order this thing and A, maybe never receive it, or it's going to take me months to get it, like six weeks for it to arrive on my doorstep. So I was trying to close that gap too in the customer experience. Um, and so all of these things combined um, meant that I really did need to carry the risk on behalf of these designers. And so from the ethical standpoint, um, that really did um, allow me to sleep a little bit easier at night, knowing that like I was that one person that came along and didn't screw them over. And so we very much live by this um, idea and this mission of making sure that everyone gets taken care of. Um, and so it's worked so far for us and it's a really important red thread to how we work as a company. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I think, first off, thanks for doing that. I think it sets an example for other people who want to be successful. And another example that I see is you investing in relationships where people would preferably or bigger companies or other business models tend to invest in what's profitable. But what right. could be more profitable than investing with someone who has talent, who in the future is going to be more talented, and you're allowing that creativity and building that relationship? It's it's almost like relationships is currency in a way. Absolutely. I mean, I will tell people that these my designers are my family, you know, and they they take me under their wing as much as I'm taking them under my wing. So it's a very mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, I'll never forget Sammy and Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, you know, I had been to Mexico City and I'd obviously been to the beach cities and everything. But when I started this company, I wanted to go to the fashion capital of Mexico when we launched there. And so I went 
to Guadalajara, knew nothing about it other than just like some basic online research, which is typically how I enter into a new market. I really like going in as a blank canvas and allowing myself to be painted on by everything that happens to me once I arrive there. And so um, Sammy from the company Takasami was my first meeting and thank God, because she and I became like sisterly from the moment that we met. She was so kind. I mean, we spent hours together just showing me everything. We went to, we were in their, their cut and sew area where they manufacture the product. And she took me around some of their stores and the local malls. And she was, then she introduced me to this friend of hers who has the largest tequila collection in the world. And we did some tasting. <laughs> so that was a highlight meeting of the day. Um, we were very happy. So <laughs> I got to experience seeing tequila with the worms in it. But again, this was all part of the story and everything. And um, But what she did was she then said, you know, this is amazing what you're doing. And I know so many other people that could benefit from this. So she started introducing me to her friends. She told me where her most famous ramen place was, which I had one of the best meals of my life at this little ramen restaurant that I would have never found on my own. Um, you know, and she truly, I mean, every day she was checking in, we would meet up and um, the company is really her mom's company. And the name comes from a combination of her mom's name and um, her, her sister's name. So it's the two sisters and the mom who all run the company together. And so Takasami is a combination of all of their names. And so then she made sure that I met her mom. They took me to a fashion show that um, her mom was attending as a guest of honor because her mom is a very well-known person in the fashion space in Mexico. And so they, I really instantaneously felt like I had a built-in family in a place that I knew nothing about. And I suddenly felt very safe, um, you, know, you know, in this place that I was visiting as a stranger. And so, it's, and that's not the first time that's happened, um, but it, it's, a, it's really meaningful to me. And so when people come and buy the product or ask me about product, and I'm typically always wearing something from one of my designers. And so people are like, where did you get that? And now I have an answer. I'm like, you can get one too at Optimus Made. Um, but it always comes with a deeply rooted story and the person behind the product. And so, and that really just elevates the piece that you're wearing. And so it makes it feel more real, tangible, and like people can actually see the person that they're helping when they buy the product. And so it's fun for me to have that close-knit relationship with my designers because it, the story just rolls off my tongue because it's real. It's authentic. It would be like talking about a family member. And so when I reflect on the last four and a half years of doing sourcing and bringing product to the people and having like this site now where we have, you know, hundreds of SKUs, it's, it's, I think about all of those stories and my relationships that I built along the way. And that's really exciting. It just makes it a really special. And it's something that like Etsy can't create. And that was the biggest thing that I heard, you know, when we think about your question earlier about, you know, you know, the expression and like what makes us special and the ethical nature of like the designer relationship and the, my relationship as the company owner is a lot of people said, we've tried Etsy, you know, and like, this feels like the closest thing to Etsy, but she's like, you know, but they will always tell me that, you know, they can't get any service or help when they go on Etsy right. as a platform. It's very much self-service. It's for makers to put their product on there. No one's really like taking ownership over their stories and helping them shape that so they can retell it in a way that's repeatable and ownable by the end user, the customer. Right. Um, and so, um, they were like, we're working with you feels so different because we feel like we're being taken care of. And that's important to yeah. me. That's the feeling I want them to walk away with. 
What a story of connection. And I when I never thought about it from this angle, but there's like a when I think of the particular story about Mexico, I start thinking about geography and I start thinking about lessons learned. Like what a great way for people to learn. Like let's say if they want to learn about the fashion designer, oh, this person's in Mexico. What part of Mexico? What kind of fabric are they using? Is it like all of a sudden you start learning so much about that geographical area? How could you not have a connection to them? And it's like the people that are producing that that particular garment or something, now they're learning about the audience in another country. So it's like this beautiful geographic bridge that's happening. Yeah, and it's pretty inherent to who I am. So any a lot of people that know me <laughs> and who've experienced going to a social event with me, they're like, wow, you really go in. You really go in from hello. <laughs> so I don't really know. I'm so just inherently curious about people when I meet them and I want to hear their story and, and, and typically people want to share. No one ever asks, right? I can't tell you how many times I've gone to social um, settings and I've been with a husband and wife couple and I'm meeting one of them for the first time or both of them for the first time. And I'm just, I start asking a ton of questions and the couple will be like, I never knew that. And they've been married for 30 something years. Right. I've never heard that story before. I never knew that about you. So they start learning all of this stuff about each other based on the questions I'm asking. And so it's like, like, anyone that knows me will tell you like um, she is not shy about asking um, very out there questions and going really deep, really fast with people. But um, I don't know. That's my way of connection. Uh, and, and that's, the, that's where I get my fuel from, you know? So people will say like, you're such an extrovert. I think I'm more of an ambivert because I do very much need to be by myself. Sometimes I need to be alone to recharge so I can rise to the occasion when I'm in public settings. Um, but it is, you know, if I go to a public setting and I'm just going with the motions, moving with the room, I'm not really having, I'm having surface level, surface level conversations. I get very tired, sleepy and bored very quickly but when I'm in a social setting and I'm having a real conversation and we're cross-exchanging information about things that are, or have happened in our lives and we're getting very personal, um, then that's how I get charged up and I get excited. And then that's when I'm the last person to leave the party. And people are like, Rochelle, we're kicking you out. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Is it time already? You know? So I just feed off of like hearing other people's stories. So it makes me really good at my job in terms of meeting these designers because I'm able to learn and reshare a lot of what you were just describing back to the customer as well. Yeah, there seems to be when you when you touch that ember that's burning inside of somebody, that passion, it's 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 contagious and it's connecting. And when we speak of connection, it makes me think of innovation and you know, how do you think the innovation in the fashion industry relate to progress and its potential societal and cultural impact? Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation that's trying to happen. Right. And when we go back to your question about sustainability as well, you know, there's a lot of upcycling and that's a way of bringing communication, um, community together and, um, and trying to sort of bolster connection amongst people, right? Because you're, you're taking a product that is old, that was yours, and you're passing it on to somebody else to make it new for somebody else, right? And so and that's also a way of trying to fix this, like, 
this issue of overproducing product and whatnot. And so um, I think all of those things are great. Um, but then that's where the problem solver and me as Rochelle comes into play. And I'm like, well, what's the real problem here? Because why are we upcycling to begin with? Mm. Why do we have this extra product that we need to give a second life to um, so it's not wasted? Like, why are we doing that? And if you really break it down, it's because we're producing too much to begin with. And, and that's why working with the type of designers I work with is important because they're, they're naturally capacity constrained, right? Okay, right? They can only make as much as they can in the amount of hours they have in the day or their small team has in the day. So they don't have the capacity to overproduce because they're not using, everything's handmade. Right. They're not using machines, whereas fast fashion very much uses, um, you know, a lot of machines to make a, a lot of bulk very quickly. Right. And so... Um, so that so so that sustainable component is naturally built into the way that I do business. But then beyond that, I was like, why? Like, like, how deep is this this issue of overproduction? So I started studying that. And what I found out is that 30 percent of products that are made every year are never sold. And I was like, you know, and as someone who I consider myself to be an environmentalist, that's a big problem for me. And so I'm like. That needs to be fixed. So I always knew when I started Optimus Made, there was a bigger concept behind it because really what I was trying to fix in the beginning was the story I started with, was I saw all these executives sort of making decisions from the gut because they weren't getting data fast enough. And that was part of what I wanted to fix with technology in the future. But then once I started like the marketplace side of the business, I started to learn how broken the su supply chain and production and product development is. And I actually, before I started my company, was had a role at, uh, at Quicksilver, um, the, the surfwear brand and snowwear brand and skatewear brand. Um, and I, I actually saw firsthand how broken the supply chain and operations issues were in the apparel industry. And so I was like, huh. I'm like, so yeah, there's this issue of people not having data fast enough, but there's also this issue of things being produced because there's not enough information there. And so I felt like I had to bring some intersectionality between the two. Right. And that's what inspired this technology that I'm now building called Optimus Labs. Nice. And what Optimus Labs is, is that right now, the way that people are making decisions on what they make and how much they are making is all based on statistics. So they're getting statistical data from either like Shopify, right? Because their their websites house on Shopify. So then Shopify will uh, has a reports tab, and you can go pull, you know, how much did I sell in this quarter? How much did I sell year over year? How much did I sell on this same day a year ago? How much? How many dresses have I sold? And it will break down in a in a lot of different varieties, you know, your way of selling based off of numbers. Um, and then you have things like just counting, right? So doing gen basic inventory, this amount came in. And when I'm doing inventory, I see we have this amount left. And so then you figure out that like, this is how much we sold. And then you put that into like an Excel spreadsheet or whatnot. And then some more sophisticated companies might actually invest in programs that do this for you or have a CRM that helps you get to this information. But at the end of the day, this is all numbers based. It's all numerical. When this goes back to where we started, right, is that it's actually about the behavior. And right. if you tap into the behavior, that's what's giving you the really rich data to help you understand what and how much you should actually be making. And no one is studying behavioral data to inform in a, in a real way um, to form 
their decision on what they're making each season. So what ends up happening is you wake up and you say, huh, I really need to re-refresh my closet with some dress shirts, right? And so you're like, okay. And so you have a vision in your head of like what you think looks good on you. And then you go to the store, you go online and you're looking what's out there. And and of all the things that are out there, this light blue shirt jumped off the rack at you and you were like, yeah. I'm going to buy this and it fits me and it's available in my size. And you take that home with you. Right. And you wear it and you look great in it. But is that the thing you actually wanted? Hmm. You know, and I think that we as customers end up settling because the yeah. thing that we actually want as customers is the thing that's not available to us. And, and the manufacturer will never know that because they don't have that product available, mm. right? So, yeah. that, so we all go out with a vision in our head of what we want, but then we we find the thing that's closest to it. And I'm, not, I'm not saying that people are buying a bunch of crap they don't want. I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm just saying that it's a brand's job to yeah. manufacture that they're predicting based off of statistics is going to be like a hero they get someone like me to put a bunch of marketing dollars to shove a message right. down people's throats. Right. McDonald's, yep. you know, <laughs> like you know, you know, jing- jingle that you were singing earlier. Yeah, and and that sticks in your mind, and then you think to yourself, "That's the thing I'm going to go buy." Mm. That's because that's what you heard, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm like, how can I stitch? How can I close that gap between getting the thing that's in people's head? And getting that information to brands so they can actually manufacture something that's closer to what's in people's heads. So this technology that I'm building through Optimus Labs does that. Um, it does take the statistical data, but it operates more off of behavior. I love it. So it sits behind e-commerce platforms and it's actually studying human behavior and how people are moving through product, what attributes they care about, what they're, what they're, you know, what they're hovering over, what they're clicking on. There's a subtle survey component that pops up to say, is this product perfect the way that it is? Would you rather see this in a long sleeve? Would you rather see this in a button up versus a crew neck? Right? So that's all a way of getting information that's beyond what's on the page. And then what you can, what you can do now with AI very quickly is look for patterns. Yeah. And so you can start to find patterns Mm. because you might want it that there's probably several other people that want the same thing you want, but there's not, there's no environment right now for you to get those thoughts out there. So a lot of people are trying, what you're seeing in fashion right now is a lot of people are trying to figure out real time production and they're trying to figure out how can they start to get more customized because that's what the customer's craving. They want more of these custom. We've seen this in the sneaker industry, right? But then you they right. only make a, a small batch of this one sneaker and they cost a fortune. You're boxing a bunch of people out that can't afford that sneaker, right? And I find that to be very unfair. And so I'm like, how can we get information to brands to make them smarter and get them more predictable about what they can create at scale? So they can make more calculated decisions on what products to develop. So that's really what my technology does. And that's where I'm trying to take the space is actually making brands smarter about what they should be manufacturing and starting. So over time, as more customers are coming in, the technology is getting smarter because it has more information to work with. And so what you hope to see in time is that you're creating more brand loyalists because if you're using this product, then you're starting to make more products that your customers actually looking for. Because the <laughs> technology is actually gathering behavioral data to help inform that. And then customers yeah. will stay there because they're like, yeah. 
this company understands me, right? Have you ever been in a conversation with a friend and you're talking about something and then you leave that coffee chat and then you go onto Facebook because you want to see what's going on there and then you're getting an ad for something that you were just talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, it's very similar, you know, that what they're doing there is they're listening and then serving you an ad experience that matches the conversation that you were having to make your ad experience super relevant. Now I'm like digging a level deeper and doing that with data and how people manufacture product. So I love it, Michelle. You know, you know what would be fascinating? Like if, if they're like they're already listening and if maybe your product already does this, but what about speech patterns? I believe you could have a conversation with someone and talk to them for 40 minutes. And if they said the color blue five times, they probably like something blue. They say the word tight, but you can learn a lot from a conversation about how people see themselves and see themselves in the world. And I bet you that could translate into garments. And especially for you, someone who can see the inherent talent in a fashion designer can obviously pick out the words of what someone is thinking about with the, yeah. with the behavior mixed behind it. That's a fascinating concept. Talk about customizability. Like, yeah. boom, here's this thing you love. How did you do that? Right, right. Because the thing is, is, is that the thing that like people's wants and desires are buried in their unconscious, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, and so you just have to be perceptive enough to know how to yeah. listen for that. But, you know, and it, it, you, you know, you always find when you ask someone a direct question, like they'll give you an answer, but they have to really think about it. And then you're like, okay, how much of that answer was manufactured? The real richness and like information comes from natural conversation as yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So it's looking for those patterns and things are just happening naturally. And that's what this product is all about. It's grabbing patterns amongst natural behaviors and not manufactured behavior. So you're right on. You get it. You are right on. <laughs> you know what? What else is fascinating too is like the psychological breakdown of a person in the clothes they wear. Like you could probably tell a lot about the way someone feels about themselves on a certain day, or if you look at their wardrobe, it speaks volumes of them, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, that's your one way that you get, even if you wear literally a white t-shirt and jeans every day, that is your way of expressing yourself. Right. Like that's me. I mean, Steve Jobs is yeah, iconic totally. for his black turtleneck, right? Yeah. Uh, he always wore that in jeans, like, you know, and, but he's known for it and actually right. has become, you know, Elizabeth Holmes, a little controversial. <laughs> he aspired so much to be like him. Right. She started doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that is a, it is a look. It's a, it's yeah. an expression. Um, even though some people might consider it basic, it's still a way of expressing yourself. And so um, I absolutely think that, um, I wholeheartedly agree with that is like, you know, that getting to the, the way that people need and want to express themselves is so important. And that means something different to everybody. But it, like, I think you'll find there's more people in common with how you express yourself than not in common with you. Um, and, you know, those just might not be the people you're surrounded by. But when a company like mine can gather information from a right. whole lot of people, suddenly you start to see how small the world starts to become. Right. And, and it's great for companies because when you're able to deliver information that's couched in behavioral data in that way, then you are actually making them more profitable because they're starting to make come, they're starting to make product that is resonates more with their customer. Right. So they're going to be willing to pay more for it. Yeah. Because they're like, this is exactly what I want. It's the same way that when I was traveling overseas and I would see something, I'm like, I have to have that because I don't know when I'm coming back here. And when I come back here, they're probably not going to have that in the window. So I need to buy it now. Um, I'm very irrational. I probably pay 
a lot more for that product because of that whole environment of what's happening to me in that moment and that it feels out of reach if I don't buy it right then and now than I would if I saw that product in like Target or Bloomingdale's or Fred Siegel here where I know I can just if I see it one day I can go back the next and it'll probably still be there Um, so there's an irrationality of scarcity and something being Mm. gone that people will pay a price for right and so when people feel like oh wow you have product that's really like fits me, they're going to pay more for that. So as a company, and then also you will find your, you'll have to make less skews because you'll be more precise about what people want. You'll have more information. So then you're reducing your waste. So you're not wasting money and wasting product. You're able to charge more for the product you're selling because it's exactly what people want and it starts to want and they starts to feel more custom. And um, because you're not having to make as much product, you're not having to put as much overhead on the table in order to carry the company. So some having a product like this is a win, win, win for like for a company because it's just literally making them more efficient and more profitable um, just by arming themselves the power of data. Yeah. It's beautiful. I think it speaks to this idea too, when we start talking about scarcity in a way, but I think there's a positive, I think that there's a, there's a positive attribute to scarcity that no one's talking about. And it has to do with language. The same way a letter makes up a word, a word makes up a sentence, a sentence makes up a paragraph, a paragraph makes up a story, a story makes up multiple books. The same way one article of clothing begins to make up an, a suit, a suit makes up a collection. And all of a sudden you're building this language to people. And what sounds to me what you're doing is you're, you're creating a language that identifies with the customer that that speaks to their who they are versus I want to make money. Like that's such a better language. Like I, I love that. It, it's a beautiful way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on with that. Um, and that's because that's that's what's important to me. It's, yes. You know, the bottom line, of course, is important, right? But to sure. me, it's not the only thing. And I, you know, and I would tell an investor, like, of course, I'm gonna, I want you, to, I'm gonna return your money at a multiple because, like, why else, you know, would I be asking you for your money if I couldn't, didn't think I could do that? But at the end of the day, like for me, it is really about providing an experience that people actually Mm -hmm. want and when you right it goes back to something you said earlier it's like when you're doing things you you love like you know and a lot of you hear this in life it basically doesn't feel like work right um and so it's like when you're when you're feeding the customer in a, in a way they want to be fed, um, you'll find money comes easier that way than you having to work so hard to manufacture it. Because if you really get behind what goes into getting a product to market and getting people to buy it, there's a lot of like guesswork that goes into that and a lot of money and a lot of waste because you, you, you test and learn in certain areas and it doesn't work. And it's like, Oh, well, but if you're a big company, it's kind of like a rounding error. It gets absorbed somewhere else because you end up making money over here. And so you're able to make those sort of risks. At the stage, I, I can't afford those risks right. at the stage I'm in. So because I'm operating out of a place of scarcity and just like everything matters to me so much, I'm very much more, I'm a lot more conscientious about the decisions yeah. I'm making and how I'm making them because I, I have to be. And the other thing that's important to, 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 to know about this technology that I'm building is that I think that what we end up seeing is that people start companies and they just immediately want to go feed these enterprise level companies. Cause they're like, if I just get a few of them, I'll be wildly successful. And that's great. But 
people forget about the small companies and small to medium sized businesses make up 85% of our GDP. Right. Enterprise level companies make up 15%. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you guys keep going after that. I'm going to go for small and medium sized businesses. Because again, it goes back to the altruism of serving the have nots and the underdogs, because that's where right. I come from. And I want to make their lives easier. So every decision I make about my company fun is like that functions built into it. And so when I thought about building this technology, I wanted to build it like it, easy and intuitively enough where any business of any size could pop it right onto their e-commerce platform and see the immediate benefits of what this product can do for you. So I'm really building it for the smaller companies, not the larger companies, but the larger companies can use it. And so I'd like to say that I'm the Shopify of product developments <laughs> because when Shopify came on the scene, it cost twenty-five dollars to $50,000 to build a website. Wow. So it was very inaccessible to people to build websites because it costs so much money to build a website. And then Shopify came along and they found some developers who were able to code an experience where you could drag and drop pictures into the right places. There were templates already set up for you. You type the copy in and it tells you exactly what copy needs to be typed in there. And boom, you have a website in five minutes. And so now we're seeing this huge, when you think about digital transformation, we're seeing all this e-commerce. The growth in e-commerce e has been stratospheric over yeah. the years, over the past 10 years because of Shopify. Um, they have enabled any company of any size to be able to build a platform. And um, what you've also seen is like, company, large companies have now seen the utility in this. So companies like Zara, like huge companies, they use Shopify. So you will get the large players anyway if you build something that works well, right? And when you see a lot of people that when that when using a product and it's working for them, these larger companies are not dummies. Like they're like, oh, we need to be competitive. We want in too. Like put me in, coach. And so I, to me, it's it's just it's exactly the way it should work. And it just so happens that like it, it allows me to like give something to um, the companies that really aren't used to being catered to. And that's really important to me because I wish there were more resources out there for me that were readily available, but it seems like you have to be at a certain point but you can, before you can afford those luxuries. And I don't, I don't think it should be that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. There's nothing more beautiful than a rose in the desert. A rose in the desert is worth a million roses in a garden. Yeah. And there's so many out there. There's so many waiting to be discovered. And, you know, I, I think it speaks volumes of, where you came from and and who you are expressing the work you're doing. I love that. Thank you for for finding the others, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. beautiful thing and I, we need yeah. more of it. Yeah. Rochelle, this is amazing conversation and I I want to be mindful of your time and I I'm so thankful for everything that you that you've given to the myself and the audience today. I know we're coming up on this, but before I let you go, what do you have coming up? Where can people find you and what are you excited about? Yes. Yeah, so coming up, I have a lot. <laughs> so um, I launched my private label about a year ago. We rolled off two custom candles that we gen we generated feedback from our community and we built two cents for these two candles that we rolled off the line that are Optimus made owned. 
And now the next thing that we're launching is an athleisure collection. Um, so we're doing a yoga pant and jogger that were custom made um, with the data from our customers and what they were looking for. Uh, and then put together with, you know, by myself, um, working with some people who are influencers in the movement space to see what they like and didn't like and building that into the design. And those are actually being shipped as we speak um, so that we can get those launched. And then um, we're building a whole capsule collection around it. So a his and hers hoodie and a duffel bag. And what's really cool about it is we're collaborating with this amazing artist called Ali Sabet. And he has this really interesting um, way of approaching art. And it's just very visually interesting. And so he's going to be doing, um, I'm collaborating with him and another one of my um, friends in the movement space, Natasha Needles, who owns a local yoga studio here in Hermosa Beach called Soho Yoga. And together as a collective, the three of us are designing um, what the look and feel of this athleisure collection should look like. And so we're in the pro design process right now of that. Everything will be getting printed in the next few weeks. And then we're having a big release party for it on November 4th. Um, locally here in um, Hermosa Beach, but then it'll also be available online for purchase as well. Um, so I'm really excited to see the growth of our private label and also to know the reason that private label exists is to help um, prove out the um, the the reason why this technology that I'm building exists. So we're using data to inform the products that roll off of this private label. So these will be the first two products that are truly fully informed by customer data, um, which is really exciting. And then we have a couple other pop-ups after that. So we have another one um, at Soho Yoga on December 9th. And then we have another uh, holiday market, which is going to be a co in combination with a bunch of other makers um, on December 17th. And so that'll be the closeout of our live experiences for the year. Um, and then you'll see a lot of new product from our um, sourcing trips over the summer in Spain um, coming to coming to markets very soon. And then, like I said, menswear will be launching in the next few weeks as well. So lots of stuff coming up and you can find all of it at www.optimist, like optimistic, um, made, M-A-D-E.com. So www.optimistmade.com. We're on all the socials at Optimist Made. And um, you can get the full online experience there. You can talk to us. Please talk to us. We Again, we're very consumer-led, so we'd love to hear from you. Um, and I'm just really excited about where we are as a company. Like this, my full vision is starting to come to life right now. You know, I was staging it out. And so we were going through our acts. So we've sort of been through act one, two, and three. Right. Now we're in act four. And it's sort of the big ta-da of um, <laughs> the vision that I have in my head. So I'm fundraising right now. And I'm super, super excited to see where the company is going to go from here. Because this is where I expect it to really take off. And so I'm just holding on. Um, but I'm ready to be taken anywhere the world's ready to take me. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you. It's so fascinating to see the world of AI used as a tool to create consumer behavior and create products like that. And if the, if past relevant behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, I can't wait to see Optimus Made explode. You guys are doing amazing things over there. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, you so please, go, please go down and check out all the show notes. Check out everything. Check out the pop-ups. Check out. Be the first person to go wherever you're listening right now. Go, be the first person in your community to start wearing this because it's going to blow up. And there's such a great story behind it. Be part of that story. So 
Ladies and gentlemen, go check out the show notes. Check out Rochelle. Reach out to them. They're customer led. That's all we got for today. Hold on briefly afterwards, Rochelle. I'll talk to you briefly afterwards. I'm going to hang up with our friends. That's all I got, ladies and gentlemen. Aloha. (laughs) (laughs) Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.